Hey, this is Mitch Rose. I'm the lead pastor of City Hills Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages you, it inspires you, it challenges you to live your best life. Take a listen. Here's this week's message. Whenever I think about church, I think, you know, I don't know if you ever thought this way. My mind kind of goes this way a lot. How, how crazy it is that, that Christianity and the movement of Christ and the church is where it is today. A lot of historians say that it's one of the greatest mysteries in history. One of the greatest mysteries in history that, that what was considered a cult back, in, back, back when Jesus, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection, whenever that all happened and there was this movement called the way, they didn't know what to call it, they called it the way, and the, they, the Romans in that empire at that time would kind of call it a cult, and it was so crazy, it's so crazy to me that a, a cult that was birthed in, in what was known as the armpit of the Roman Empire, Jerusalem and Israel, it was the armpit of the Roman Empire. If you were a Roman soldier and you got stationed in Jerusalem, Israel, that territory, you were kind of, you were just, you were probably being punished for something. It wasn't where you wanted to be. You wanted to be in Rome. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be on the beaches of Greece or something like that? But if you got stationed in, in, in Israel, you were kind of in the armpit of the Roman Empire. And that's where this whole movement was birthed. And it was so crazy that it was birthed by a leader who was rejected by his own people. Who was rejected by his own people. And then it survived and thrived in the face of violence and organized state-funded resistance. The Roman Empire was trying to squash it out, trying to put it out. There were the, you, you could be killed for being a part of this movement. You know, how did it come about that a Nazarene sect would eventually be embraced by the very empire that for 300 years sought to extinguish it? How is this possible? How is this possible? If you go to Rome today and you go to the Colosseum, the Roman Colosseum, you know, that was built by, by this empire if you go to the quarters where where the the king or the caesar would walk in and that was his his quarters if you look over the door there is actually a cross over the emperor's door this is an empire for for centuries the the emperors had tried to squash christianity and eventually they embraced the movement this is a mystery that that historians have pondered for for generations and they all pretty much come up to the same conclusion and it's this, and I thought it was illustrated so well by this, um, this quote by a lady named Karen Armstrong. She wrote a book called Fields of Blood, and, and it, was, it says this. She said, against all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. And this is the statement that really, really encapsulates it. It says that we still really do not understand how this came about. We still really don't know how this all happened unless you pay attention to the men and women that were there at the beginning of the movement. Their stories were, were documented and they became our Bible. And so unless you believe those, you don't really, you can't really see the picture of how this movement went from being squashed between a temple who hated it and, and, an, and an empire that was trying to kill it, how this movement thrived and became what we know today as Christianity. It's amazing that this movement, it was started by a day laborer, literally a day laborer named Jesus. How we even know his name, how we even know any bits of the story, it's amazing. It's incredible. But here's something that I think is even more incredible, that Jesus actually predicted this. He actually predicted this movement. You see, Jesus, he was, 
he was with his disciples and they were, they were taking a trip. They were in what was known as Caesarea Philippi. I think I'm saying that right. It was in the northern area above Jerusalem, above Israel, which today we would call Syria. And so he was in the middle of a desert and he was with his disciples and he began to ask him, hey guys, who, who do the people say I am? What's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? And if you're in any place of influence or, or leadership, you often don't ask, hey, what's everybody saying about me? That's not a good place to be in. You're often probably insecure, and you're going to find out some stuff that you probably don't want to know because they all see your blind spots. They all see your weakness. But Jesus was trying to prove a point. He said, what, what do all the people say about me? And the disciples started to say, you know, a lot of people say that you're, you're, you're Elijah. You're, you know, you're the next second coming of Elijah. You know, some people say that you're the John the Baptist reincarnated. You know, some are saying that you're just a great teacher, a philosopher. You, you, you bring a strong, strong teaching. But people are saying all these things. And then Jesus turns to them and he says, okay, that's what everybody else is saying. Who do you say I am? You're the closest people to me. Who do you say I am? And, and Peter, which is the most unlikely candidate, by the way, if you study your Bible, to come up with the right answer, actually comes up with the best answer he probably ever came up with. And he said, I, I think you're the son of God. I, I think you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're, you're God robed in flesh, walking with us. I think you're the son of God. And then Jesus turns to him, and this is where he begins to prophesy into the future. And he says in Matthew 16 and 18, he says, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, on this statement of faith, I will build my ecclesia. You know, a lot of term, uh, translations will say church. But church is actually not the best translation for that. It's a German word that after several hundred years got put into there. But ecclesia, the Greek term ecclesia, actually gets the full description of what Jesus was trying to go after here. Because he wasn't saying just church. He wasn't just saying a building. He wasn't just saying a, a place where you gather. No, he was saying it's my ecclesia, which means it's a movement. I'm starting a movement. I'm starting a gathering, an assembly of people who are on mission. I'm building my ecclesia, and he says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And Hades, in that day, Hades, Hades was not known as hell. Hades, to them in that context, was known as death. It just stood the place for a place of death. And Jesus was saying, I'm building a movement. I'm, I'm starting a movement, and not even death will stop it. Not even, not even my death, he would say. Not even your death, Peter. Not even your death, John. There's nobody that can stop it. Death will not even stop it. It's a movement that is, that is moving and cannot be stopped. Jesus was saying this, that, that my death will not stop this movement. And I can only imagine what, what the disciples were thinking in that time. Jesus, what are you saying? You want us to start a movement? Do you know what happened to people who start movements in this, in this context in the Roman Empire? Caesar doesn't like that. We're going to get killed, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I, okay. Okay, but I'm just telling you, if you do, it's not going to stop. The movement's going to go forward. And the, and the death of Jesus didn't even stop the movement. That's what's so miraculous about this, is how could a leader so young, so young into this movement be crucified and killed and then not stop? And it's because Jesus didn't do what normal, normal dead people do. Jesus didn't stay dead, if you didn't know that. Just so you know, Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus is alive. Can I get an amen? He didn't stay dead. 
He didn't stay dead. And this is, you know, this is one of my favorite prophecies in all the Bible. You have all the Old Testament prophecies, and they're great. But this is one of my favorite prophecies in the Bible. And it's because we are the fulfillment of the prophecy. Jesus was speaking into the future, and he predicted us. He predicted us. Over 2,000 years ago, this leader of this movement predicted what we're doing today. He predicted that we would be sitting here praising his name, worshiping him, exalting him, and being his hands and feet in our community. Jesus, he started in his lifetime before before this statement. He was already beginning to lay the the foundation of the kingdom of God come to earth. And it it was a kingdom that would flip culture on its head. He would flip the cultural norms on its head. And he said, I'm going to start this kingdom that will start inside of you. And then it will overflow out of you. And by your good deeds, people will look to you and say, there must be a father, a God in heaven. I'm starting something. He said, I'm starting a movement. And I want you to be a part. And so Jesus went went on to lay down his life for, for his people, which is uncommon in that time that a leader of a movement like that would lay down his life for his people instead of asking his people to, to sacrifice for him. And Jesus would say, all I want you to do is if, if you call me the Lord of your life, is to lay down your life for others. As I have loved you, I want you to love others. I want you to love others. I want you to love your neighbors. I want you to love one another, and I want you to love your neighbors. I want you to even love your enemies which is so anti-culture, is I want you to go out of your way and love others, even your enemy. And it was this selflessness that began to change the world, even an empire. It began to change the world and even an empire. And I love this um, quote from a guy named Bart Aram. He wrote this book called The Triumph of Christianity. And I think what's even crazier is he's a New Testament uh, uh, theologian. And what's even crazier is, is he decided to do this, and he's an atheist. So it's pretty crazy. He studies the New Testament, but he's an atheist, and he said this about Christianity. He said, Christianity not only took over an empire, it radically altered the lives of those who lived in it. And it was a revolution that affected government practices, legislation, art, music, philosophy, and even more fundamental, the level of understanding of what it meant to be human. He said, this movement didn't just, you know, just kind of make you feel good, but it actually changed culture. It changed the way things worked in the culture that time, and it changed even the fundamental ways of thinking about being a human. You see, up until this time, outside of Judaism, uh, people didn't have dignity. There, There was a lot of people that were kind of, that were set off to the side, and they didn't have value. And here comes Jesus with his philosophy teaching, hey, look, you are made in the image of God and and you have a purpose. This movement started the the foundations of what we think about when we think about unity, when we think about equality, when we think about freedom and liberties. It was all birthed out of this movement. It was all birthed out of this movement. And, you know, it was so revolutionary, it still affects the way we view things today. People that aren't even Christians don't even know that a lot of times the thoughts and the, the way they view things and the way they approach things in their life actually all come from this movement. In our current situation where we sit, you know, several weeks into the crisis in Ukraine and, and lay down your political, your opinions or how we should handle it and how we should approach it. As, but it's crazy to me how no matter where you lie on those issues, there's this international unity around the fact that that's wrong. 
how to handle it and everything. There could be disagreements. I understand that. But we all know, hey, this isn't right. But how do we know that isn't right? Why, why isn't that right? Because for centuries, that was the norm. One people group would go in and impose their will on another people group and take what they could and plunder and, and take what they could to grow their life. And, and here we sit and we say, no, 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 no. Almost internationally, in places that, except for in places where the church is, is either dead or isn't, isn't there. We all look at it and we say, Something, something's not right about that. That's not, that's not right. I don't know how to handle it, but it's not right. And it all got birthed from this movement. Airman, uh, Bart Ehrman goes on to say, he said, however one evaluates the merits of the case, no one can deny it was the most monumental cultural transformation our world has ever seen. This movement started by a day laborer, a carpenter from Nazareth, is a movement that changed our world change the world. And here's what I want you to hear today. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, we are the stewards of that movement. That movement sits in our hands. Where it's going to go and how it's going to affect the world, it sits in our hands. We have that, that choice. We have a choice to make. We have the choice to make. Are we going to take from it? Are we going to consume it? Are we going to leave it weaker than we found it? Or are we going to engage it and make sure that it's thriving, that it's growing, that the next generation has an even better church? It's easy to say, hey, I got what I need. Me, my kids, we're going, we're, we're going to heaven. We're good. But what, what about the next generation? What about your grandkids? What about the, your great-grandkids? What about, what about the future generations? Are they going to inherit a church, the movement? Are they going to inherit it? We have that choice to make. You know, many of you know, if you, you don't have to be in tune to the news too much to know that many people, many scholars, many, many historians are, are looking at Christianity and the church in America. And they, they're saying the consensus is that, that the church in America is dying. It's on its way out. It's grown cold. And I want to just tell you today, do you know who determines if that's true? We do. We do. Do you know who determines if we become Europe? If you're from Europe, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Enoch. But you know what I'm talking about. If you go around Europe and you travel around Europe at all, you'll see beautiful cathedrals, churches that impacted our world, that impacted the way we thought about these things like we're talking about for years and years, and they've grown cold and dead, and they're left to nothing but being basically a museum. The church has kind of been squashed out, and it's died, and it's lost its influence. And you know who determines if the American church is like that? It's us. It's us. When I was in Bible college, it was, there was a lot of international students, and I lived with a guy that was from the Netherlands, and he said, you know, I don't understand how you can have so many different options of church in America, and then there's so many people that don't go to church. How, how are there so many people? Why wouldn't you go to church? He said, here I am sitting, and we have very little options. It's, it's all dying. It's all archaic. And I'm, we're trying so hard to breathe life back into the church in Europe. Don't let it become like Europe. Engage it. Grow it. Steward it. We decide. We decide the future of the church. And here's what you need to understand is that, that you are the church. You hear it all the time, but you are the church. The church is not a building. I can't wait for our building, but the church is not a building. 
It'll sit empty if we don't engage and we don't decide that we are the church. You are the church. You are our church. And you are your church. And the question is, is will we be the church? And I say it's going to happen. I say, yes, it will. We will be the church, but it has to happen with you. I love how Paul illustrated it. He was, he was teaching the, the Corinthian church in Corinth. And um, the, the Corinthian church was pretty wild. I don't know if you knew that or not, but the tr- Corinthian church was pretty wild. There's two letters in the Bible that, that Paul wrote um, to the Corinthian church. And he was basically disciplining them and kind of telling them, hey, guys, cut it out. Get right. Here's, here's what you need to know. There's, and a lot of people say that there was actually three letters to the Corinthian church. We don't know where the third one is. I think somebody at the Corinthian church said, this is getting embarrassing, and just kind of ripped it up and said, we'll just go with two, okay? We'll just go with two. We got it. We're going to move on. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about, he uses the illustration of the church being in the body of Christ. Have you ever heard, heard somebody talk about the body of Christ? Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12 and 27. He says, he says this. He says, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you is a part of the body of Christ. He's saying that you are a part of it. If you've received Christ into your life, you have no choice. You are a part of the body. And you have a part to play. He illustrates this a few verses earlier, verses 15 and 16. He says this. He says, now, if the foot should say, and I just want to pause there. If your foot says anything, you got a problem. Some of your feet stink and they kind of they're barking a little bit but we're not going to do feet washing today it's okay but if your foot should say because i'm not a head i'm 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 not a hand i do not belong to the body it would not be reason for the for the for the foot to stop being a part of the body he goes on in 16 he says if the ear should say because i'm not an eye i do not belong to the body it would not be a reason for it to stop being a part of the body. You cannot separate yourself from the body. The body parts all are in the right place. You, you, can't, have, you can't have a foot here and, a, and an arm over down here. and you can't, you can't, They all have a place to be and a spot to be. So in 27, it makes a lot more sense when you read that in verse 27 when he says, now you are a part of the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Have you ever seen a disconnected body part? A body part that wasn't with the body? It was just kind of separated? Anybody? You're weird. I don't know why you would see that. That's absolutely disgusting. I thought about some illustrations, but I didn't want anybody puking. But a body part separated is just, it's kind of gross. It's kind of gross. And Paul, Paul is saying, what he's saying to the Corinthians, he's saying, don't be gross. Don't be gross. You're part of the body, be a part of the body. Anything different is just kind of gross. So don't be gross. What you need to be is you need to be engaged. You need to be engaged. If, if you're part of the body of Christ, you need to engage in the function of the body. You need to engage. And I'm telling you, I understand that in this day and age, we made it so easy to get the gospel out. And we should. We should. We should be able to, to, be able to consume and see uh, messages and worship from all over the world. It's amazing to be able to do that. But there's something powerful. There's something supernatural about engaging in the body of Christ. We can be consumers 
or we can engage with the movement. Amen? Amen. And so I want to encourage you today to engage. If you've never engaged, if you, if you decided you're going to be a part of this body, if you decided you're going, to, you're going to be part of the body of Christ, you're making Jesus Lord of your life, let me encourage you. It's time to engage. You better get ready because I'm about to get up in your bubble a little bit, okay? I kind of like my personal space. Somebody made fun of me last service. They said, you're not, you, don't, you don't like people getting up in your own bubble. Why are you trying to get in my bubble? Well, it's just happening today because Pastor Mitch gave me the microphone. He's too nice. So I'm just going to say it. You need to engage in the body. You need to be a part of it. And here's the thing. If you have been engaged, if you were engaged at one point, but maybe over the pandemic, maybe just life in general has kind of thrown you some curveballs. Look, I understand. I understand my life has been kind of crazy, and I work at a church, and I can realize how easy it is to disengage. I've been, I got, in the last couple of years, I got married. We went through a pandemic, and then we decided to have a baby. I understand how easy it is to disengage, but I'm encouraging you, you need this. So if you've been disengaged, I'm encouraging you, today is the day that you start praying to God and asking, how can I re-engage? Don't be gross. Be engaged. And if you have been disengaged, it's time to re-engage. Amen? Here's the thing is, I know this for a fact. I know this for a fact, that the will of God, I don't know the will of God for your life in a lot of ways. I don't know who you should marry, who you should date, how you should do that. I don't know how, you know, to live healthy and clean. I mean, obviously, I'm wearing black on black on black just because I just don't want you to see everything. I still got my pregnancy weight. I never lost it. I don't know the will of God for your life in a lot of ways, but I do know That the will of God for your life is to be engaged in the local church. The will of God is for you to be planted by streams of living water so that you can flourish in your life. And here's the thing. I know you may be sitting there and you may be thinking, you know what? You're just, here it comes. You're going to tell me all the things you need. And I'm going to tell you some things that we need you to do. But here's the thing is, I can confidently stand here and say, "We, we, we don't really need you. You need us. You need us. And I'm not saying that arrogant. If, if it's not here, I mean the body of Christ. You need the body of Christ. So if it's not this church, go find a church that you can engage in. Because you need it. You need that people. You need that be a part of that movement. You need people around you, gathering around you to support you, encourage you, strengthen you. You need this. You need the body of Christ. So if you haven't heard anything about this, I, let me just give you this statement is that today I'm not inviting you to just attend something. I'm inviting you to participate in something. I'm not inviting you just to attend a church. I'm not inviting you just to attend and and just show up. I'm inviting you to participate in a movement, a movement that has been around for generations and generations. And it's up to us to make sure that it's around for the next generation. I'm inviting you to engage and be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Something special will happen in your life whenever you decide to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Whenever your world becomes a little bit bigger than just your problems, it's amazing what God will do and how he'll move in your life. Let me tell you this. I, I, I can tell you from personal experience, there's no other investment outside the investment you make in your family that will bring back a bigger return in your life than investing in the local church. 
Because when you invest in the local church, there's a lot of things you can invest in. But when you invest in the local church, I'm telling you, where there's local churches that are thriving, the world, the community thrives. You see families thrive. You see governments thrive. You see things move and shake and be, be transformed in a community where churches thrive. There's no better investment you can make with your life than investing in the local church. You see, the church is the hope of the world. I firmly, firmly believe the church is the hope of the world. And Jesus told his, his followers, he said, you know, if you decide to follow me, you're going to be the light of the world. You're going to be the light of the world. And I, I can only imagine the people in that time thinking, you, I'm the light of the world? You know I've never been further than like 10 miles away from my house, right? You know I've never really, I don't even know, I don't even know what it looks like in the world. But I'm going to be the light of the world. And Jesus is saying, whenever you join up with this mission, when you join up with me, I'm going to put something in you. And there's going to be a, you're going to be a light to your community. You're going to be a light to your neighborhood, to your family, to your workplace. You're, the church is the hope of the world, and you're carrying the torch for it. So let me, let, me, let me tell you this. We're laying in the plane. I need you to join us on mission. We need you to join us on mission. You know our mission at City Hills, a lot of you know it, but I'm going to give you kind of the expanded version, okay? It's this. It's that, that we are here to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. Join us. Join us as we know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Right there in the middle of it, it says, join us. It says it's an invitation to join in on something bigger than ourselves. It's an invitation to impact our city, to impact our communities, to impact our schools, to impact our workplaces. It's an invitation to join in on the movement. And if you're a part of the body, you need to be engaged in a local body. Amen? So let me give you three ways, three ways to do that. I know you're looking for three ways. Pastor Mitch always gives you three ways. So here's your three ways that you can engage in the local body. First, first one is you need, to, you need to be listening for those come and sit with me opportunities. Be listening for the come and sit with me opportunities. Let me, I'll illustrate it to you in three things. If you're wondering, how do I do that? I'm kind of an introvert. I don't really like, uh, you're, my skin's already crawling when you say, I got to invite somebody to church. It's really easy. I got three knots for you. Three knots. Three knots you're going to be listening for. And the first one is, is that, that I'm not in church. So when you're talking to somebody and you hear them say, hey, you know what, that's cool. I'm not really a church person. You know, I'm, I don't go to church. You know, I, I'm not really in that. You know, the religious stuff, I'm not, that's not really my thing. Your response should be, well, just come sit with me. Right. You know, I, that's not really my thing. I, that's, a fun, that's, that's what our church is made for. It's for people that it's not really their thing. For you to come check it out, just come, just come sit with me. Church is not my thing. I'm not in church. You know, we, we moved and we, we used to have a church and now we don't have a church because we, we moved states and that happens a lot around here. So that's, that's a common one that's going to kind of hit on you is, is that there's some people that are, you know, they used to be engaged in church and they just don't, they're like, you know what? We just, we're not in church. We haven't found a home church yet. That's when you say, come sit with me. Come sit with me. The second knot is that things are not going well. When you're in a conversation with that coworker, and they say, you know what, it's been a rough time, you know. My, my marriage is just not going well. 
You know, my kids, I, I thought I was, you know, raising them right. I thought I was doing the right thing, but it's just not going well. We've had a patch, patch where it's just not going well. Come sit with me. Come sit with me. I got a place where you, where you can sit. I can save you a seat. Come, come sit with me. And the third one is, I was not prepared for. I was not prepared for marriage. <laughs> Whoever is. But I, I was not prepared for that. I got into this and I was just, I was not prepared. Come, come sit with me. We, we, we had kids and I thought we were ready. But whoa, we were not prepared. We were not prepared. Have you ever noticed when you have kids, there's, you, you think you're prepared, you got all the stuff, and then whenever they get there, you got to buy all new stuff? Like you just, it just keeps, sorry, that's not, what, that's not what we were talking about. But I wasn't, I'm not prepared. Well, come sit with me. Come sit with me. I got a place that can give you some hope. I got a place that can, can, can kind of point you in the right direction. Just, just come sit with me. And here's the good news, bad news is you're going to start to see those moments. You're going to start to see those come sit with me moments. So I'd encourage you to start inviting people. But good news, bad news, most of them aren't. So you're off the hook. You don't even got to save a seat. You just did your thing. You just kind of put the invitation out there. You planted the seed. They're probably not going to come. Well, think about the one that does. Just think about if hundreds of people in our community just started saying, come sit with me. Just, oh, oh you're, not, you're, you're in over your head? Come, come sit with me. You're, you're looking for hope. You're looking how to restore your marriage, bring your kids back. Come sit with me. Think what happens in that moment, how the movement, the, the impact we can make. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of one invitation. You know how people are going to come to church? It's not because a pastor invited them. It's because you invited them. You know, studies always say, you know, whenever it comes to the, the Christmas and the Easter services, it says, you know, run your ads, do all those things, do your mass mailers, all that kind of stuff. We do all that. But you know how people are going to come? It's through a personal invitation. Through a personal invitation. I want to encourage you, become sit with me people. Because you just never know. You may be the third person to say, come sit with me. And it may be the fifth invitation that they finally come. But how cool is it that you are part of that chain, that, that invitation? Look for come sit with me moments. The second thing is, well, let me, let me back up, is if you're going to do the come sit with me moments, you got to be here. I was going to leave that out, but I thought, you know what? God kind of just kind of nudged me on the back and said, no, you need to say that. If you're going to say come sit with me, how embarrassing is it going to be whenever they come and this is the, the, the one week you don't show up? Whenever you're on, the study, studies in America say that a committed Christian actually goes to church one every six weeks. You can't be a come sit with me person if you ain't coming. So we got, we got to get committed. We got to engage. Is that okay? Okay, I'll move on. Okay. The second thing is, is, is you need to participate in a small group. If you want to engage in the body of Christ, you need to participate in a small group. You need to get participated. Don't, don't give up just because you go to one and it doesn't quite fit. Don't give up because you go to one and you say, hey, that wasn't really my kind of people. Don't give up because you go to one and they have bad food. Keep going. Keep digging. Just go to Nancy Price. Just look up that leader. Great food. Great food. But you need to be involved in a small group. Look, if you had a kid that was moving to college and, and they said, hey, I'm going to go try a church, and they go, and then you call them and you say, how, how was it? And they say, ah, that was not a good church. I, I'm not going back. I'm just giving up. You wouldn't say, hey, hey. You wouldn't say, that's good. You know what? You tried. Just, just give it up. It's okay. 
No, you would say, go, go to another one. Go look for another one. You need people in your life. So I'm encouraging you, get in a small group. Look, I'm telling you, if you can't make it all the time, just go sometimes. If you, we have a 10-week semester. We're about to end it in a few weeks, in about four weeks, five weeks. And then we start back up at the end of May, and it's a six-week semester. Look, if you can only go to two or three of those small groups, go to two or three of those small groups. You need people in your life. You need encouragement. You need to be discipled. Now, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know what? I've been around church for a while. I get you. I'm kind of a professional Christian. I grew up in church my whole life. I went to Bible college and I work at a church. There's not a whole lot of times that I I sit in a small group and think, wow, never saw that. Never heard that verse. But you know what? That's not why you need to be in a small group. You need to be in a small group because maybe you have something that somebody else needs. Maybe somebody else in that small group is going through something that, that, that you've been through and you can be there for them. You can encourage them. And I want to encourage you, don't leave. I need you to lead. If, you, if, you, if you've been in a small group and you think, I, I just, you know what, I, I've been in small groups for a while, I'm just done. No, no, don't, don't leave small groups. Lead one. Maybe that's your next step is just to lead a small group. Like I said, at, at the end of May, we'll be starting a whole new semester. We would love to get you started right now on getting ready and prepared to lead a small group. So participate in a small group. Look for the come sit with me opportunities. Participate in a small group. And the third thing you need to do to engage in the body of Christ is you need to volunteer. You knew it was coming. You need to volunteer. You need to get plugged in. It amazes me every week how we have people that stand at the door and just shake hands and you would think that's such a small thing. But you know every single week almost, we hear stories of people that come to our church and they say, man, you know what? It was so cool. I've been to so many churches where I walked in, sat down, walked out, and nobody said a word to me. But I love that church because somebody shook my hand. Somebody actually wanted to have a conversation with me. That's as simple as it is to volunteer. Look, maybe you want to, maybe you love babies and you need to rock, you want to rock a baby in the nursery. I got one for you. You can rock him. Serve in the nursery. Maybe you want to serve in elementary with our elementary kids, kids that are about to go into their teenage years. And you want to serve in there and you want to be goofy and you want to kind of cut up and and sing and dance and do the worship and the lessons. We need more people in our elementary. We we need more people on our broadcast and media team. You know that we we send this message out all over the place. It's amazing to me that even a church... Like City Hills, people were listening to our messages and listening to, tuning into our church all over the country. We had somebody email in uh, just, just about a month or two ago that was watching from like Massachusetts, Connecticut, that area. It's all blurry up there, you know. It's a little, I like to think they were in Dawson's Creek or something. I don't know. But people watching all over, and he wrote and he told Pastor Mitch, he was like, you don't know how encouraging your church is to me. I go to a smaller church and and we've been trying so hard to revitalize this. And, and your messages are encouraging us, giving us vision, giving us hope. Isn't that amazing? We need more people helping us put that out and put out a better product for people to be able to engage every single week that I see a new person. It's amazing the percentage of people that come and say, you know what, I've been watching online for a few weeks. And then we decided to come. Engage with it. Help us. Turn the tables, turn it back to other people. And you may be sitting there saying, you know what? I'm just busy. Everybody's busy. Everybody's busy. 
You know, this church was built actually with busy people. There's no way this church would be this good with a bunch of bums. Everybody was busy. The guy, the guy that's actually producing our broadcast that's going out live stream right now, sitting behind that wall, his name's Justin. The guy, the guy, when we started the church, he was still working in Austin, living in Bernie, driving two hours one way, two hours back. But he was there for any small group that we had. He led a small group in the very beginning. He was at every single setup and takedown. He was busy. But he said, I'm going to engage because it's, it's more important than my busyness. It's just a commitment. We can commit to a lot of things. I'm not hitting on sports. I grew up playing every sport, but it's a commitment. I'm so proud that my parents said, you know what? You can play all those things, but on Sunday morning, we're going we're gonna to be at church. We're going to serve at church. We're going we're gonna to be committed. You're, I say it all the time, but your basketball, your basketball coach is going to know that at 630, Aubrey leaves because he drives 45 minutes one way to church. And uh, on Wednesday nights, he goes to the youth group. So they knew that. We're all busy, but we all have something we can do. We all have a place, and I, we would love to help you get connected into that body. We would love to help you get connected. Stop by the welcome tent on your way out. We would love to be able to help you connect in that. So I'll close with this. My heart, my heart, whenever I started thinking for this and how the movement, how amazing this movement is that, that started so many years ago and has survived through so many different generations. My heart's kind of broken for the church, especially the church in America. The church in America, it kind of breaks my heart for a couple reasons. The first is that it breaks my heart that we've, we've lost influence in our culture. We've lost influence in our world. We've, we've, been kind of, we've been kind of diluted down and reduced down to a voting block. Just, you know, with every party just trying to say, can we get the evangelicals over here? Can we get them to agree with this? And you know what? When it comes to those kind of things, you know, there's always going to be disagreements. But unity is always a choice. As the church, we always have the choice to unite our culture, to unite our world, and it only happens through the local church. We can bring back the influence. The church can have influence in America. I believe it, that we can do that again. And the second reason is, is because of my, primarily my generation, I'm sorry, is we, we come up with this term. It's not a new idea. It's just a new term of, of deconstructing our faith. You'll hear so many young people say, you know, about talk about deconstructing their faith. How they broke it all down. And as a gen, the generation that that's happening to the most, I want to say that the reason so many people are, are deconstructing their faith is because they were given a faith that, that was basically the Bible tells me so faith. It was weak faith. It was easy to deconstruct. And we as a church, we need to engage so that the generation below can anchor their faith to an event that launched a movement that eventually brought us the Bible. That eventually brought us the Bible. There's this movement. All we have to do is anchor it to the gospel. You know how powerful the gospel is? Is that for over 300 years, there wasn't a Bible. And it still grew. Because they anchored their life to a, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We need a generation that's anchored to that truth. And it can only happen if we engage in the body. So I want to encourage you today, do that. Take your next step, whatever it is. If you need to engage, if you need to re-engage, today is the day. So all across the house, would you bow your heads? Let me pray for you in this moment. That God would speak to your heart. 
God, I pray right now that you would speak to us as a church, God, as we enter into a holy season of Easter, God, as we go into the blessing that you've given us of a building, God, that you would show us how we can engage in your movement, that you would show us how we can move with your church and engage with your church, God. Where is it that you would have us talk to somebody and invite them to church and say, come sit with me? God, what is that community of people? What is that small group, God, that I need to get plugged into today? God, speak to my heart. Lead me, God. God, where where is it that I can volunteer? Where is it that I can serve? Can I open a door? Can I teach a kid? Can I run a camera? Can I serve at our monthly serve projects? Where is it, God, that I can engage in your movement? God, I pray right now that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would encourage us, strengthen us as a church, God. Grow us, Lord. Don't let the movement stop with us. Lord, let us strengthen your movement. Let us strengthen your kingdom. Let us impact our city, our country, our world, God. Maybe today you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know what, I wanna be a part of that movement, but I don't know that I've ever made Jesus Lord of my life. And if that's you today, I wanna pray with you. I wanna lead you in a prayer. I can't pray it for you. The Bible says that if you would speak it with your mouth and, and believe it in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he would save you and your eternity would be secure with him and you could be a part of this movement. So at this moment, I wanna pray a prayer with you. I'm gonna lead you in this prayer. So everybody just repeat after me. And if that's you, I want you to take it to heart. Jesus, today, I believe in you. Jesus, today, I put my hope in your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Today, I leave my old ways behind and I follow you. Today, I call you Lord of my life. My faith is in you. I'm ready to engage you in your movement. Let today be a day that I remember for the rest of my life, the day that you became my Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. You know, it's because of you that we're able not only to bring this message to you, but we're able to offer hope and life to the San Antonio Hill Country and beyond. So if you'd like to give today, you can visit cityhillstx.com right now. And if this message blessed you, why don't you click subscribe or share this message with your friends uh, on your socials. I pray it's a blessing to others in your world. Thanks again for listening today. God bless you.